0: hope. It's what military families need today. Join Hope for the Warriors once a month as we talk with America's heroes and those that support them. Through open conversations and honest dialogue, learn more about the topics that are most impacting the military community. Welcome to the Hope for the Warriors podcast. I'm Kate Dudley, a military spouse and your host. Welcome to the Hope for the Warriors podcast. We released our suicide prevention episode earlier this month, which I hope you were able to listen to because it was incredibly powerful. Chatting with Nick Guernsey and Bobby Gray, two veterans who were able to dive deep into this subject that affects so many. Because this issue is so important, we wanted to put something else out on the airwaves. Back in August, four veterans came together to shed light break down stigma and provide support for those who may be struggling with the complex issue that is suicide. The discussion runs a little over an hour, but there is so much insight on ways to prevent suicide and understand it. So sit back and listen to these members of our military community as they help break the silence.
1: I'm Brian Sampson, a licensed clinical social worker with Hope for the Warriors. Um, I am a Marine Corps veteran spouse, and I'm also the director of our clinical support services here at Hope for the Warriors. I will be the one helping lead this discussion today, and I'm also joined by four veterans that are going to help shed light on this conversation regarding suicide prevention and awareness. I will now turn it over to the veterans so they can introduce themselves. Kevin?
2: Uh, Kevin Bittmeter. I'm a uh, retired sergeant major in the United States Army. I uh, served 34 years uh, in the military uh, with deployments uh, to, uh, to Afghanistan, and uh, I want to do everything I possibly can to, to share some uh, life, uh, life experiences and hopefully prevent someone that uh, may be watching this who are thinking about uh, committing suicide.
1: Thank you.
3: Tony? My name is Antonio Romano. I uh, served 21 years in the Marine Corps, uh, retired as a Master Sergeant. Uh, two years, uh, two tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, and like Kevin, uh, my goal is to uh, ensure that we're spreading uh, the suicide awareness campaign and reaching out the peer-to-peer and uh, doing everything that we can to to help our fellow service members.
4: My name is uh, Scott Griffith. Uh, I currently work with Hope for the Warriors. I'm a military veteran program manager. Um, I am a retired Marine first sergeant. Um, I firmly believe that uh, there's a power in peers, and that power of peers is what is important to try to work on ensuring that we look out for each other and uh, really work towards uh, the saving the lives and um, working against suicide. So I think this panel and hopefully between all of us, we can uh, really hone in on that and try to find ways to help other veterans from from doing the. The, to making that, uh, that decision to take their life.
5: My name's John Rose, a retired Mass Sergeant from the Marine Corps, just retired actually about a year ago tomorrow. Um, so I'm still living that retired life, uh, or trying to get in that retired life, but it, it's great being on the panel. I'm glad Hope's doing this because it's a lot of the things that actually people care about. Like you call a hotline, you don't know who you're talking to. I call Scott, hey, what's really going on, dude? you haven't been so those are the kind of things i hope comes out of this panel because those are some of the biggest things that we can shed light on because we've all dealt with it before we've had lance corporals or specialists that hey come here you know yeah. so those are some of the things i really want to hone into
1: absolutely and that's a powerful point that you make about how important it is to have those connections and those connections to people that are immediate in your life that matter um because they know you the best right so You have those friends especially in the military community we know that uh everyone goes everywhere right so it's not not necessarily going to be your next door neighbor or the person that's sitting across the office from you um, but it could be somebody who's living on the other side of the country but you've served together you know each other well and they know your ups and your downs and they know your tone of your voice and so even picking up that phone Um, or maybe, you know, things like we're going to, I want to talk today about isolation is a big one that we know. Um, So, you know, something like that. We know that it's common that I I would hear from John once a week and now all of a sudden it's been three weeks and I haven't heard from John. Something's going on, right? Could be that life got busy, but it could be that something else is going on. So, excellent point for that. I want to kind of help dispel some myths that happen with suicide prevention, and that would be, you know, people that talk about suicide aren't serious about suicide, and those who don't talk about it, um, you know, you often hear that somebody that died by suicide, it was sudden and nobody knew. And I feel like that's something that happens a lot with this stigma, and people, people assume if somebody's talking about it, it's for attention, and that they don't actually plan on, you know, following through with the act. Um, do any of you guys have experiences with that where you want to, or even just to dispel the myth in general, something that, that pops out to you?
2: There should be any shame in anyone's game that, uh, that they're struggling with mental health, whether you're a, a one-stripe private or a four-star general. Um, you know, everyone has, uh, has, you know, different experiences. I, for one, um, uh, struggle on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, say that there's a stigma there there definitely is it's uh people um you know maybe it's it's a uh a way of saying that uh i I need some help you know um in my instance um it took me eight years to uh to seek out that help Mm -hmm. and i struggled with that on a daily basis um i had a plan i didn't tell tell anyone um i didn't share anything to anyone and um it was just a a phone call um from one of my one of my battle buddies just saying hey you know what's up out of the blue didn't talk to the talk to the guy for like a, a year and just a phone call and um it just got me to thinking as to you know hey this, this is not not the time you know today is, is a very is a very uh, hard day for me um 16 years ago uh to the day um I lost three of my uh, my best friends. And, you know, I, in perspective, you know, it's uh, 5,845 days. And tomorrow's gonna be 5,846 days that I'm gonna be struggling and continue to struggle. But I try to live a life worthy of their sacrifice on a daily basis. And, you know, that's what we have to all come together uh, to know that, you know, if, if we do pick that phone up and call someone, the first thing i'm going to ask, ask is what are you doing to live a life worthy of their sacrifice today you know and um and hopefully they're going to have a reply hey i'm glad that you reached out to me yeah. you know because i think we all get i, I know that on a personal thing i get a phone call about every 45 months and the first words out of uh you know my buddy's uh, mouth would be um, hey did you hear and it's usually followed up by the person's name you know hey you know so-and-so just committed suicide and immediately your head starts to twirl around it's like, what could I have done you know and you know that that weight I think is heavy on everyone's shoulders that knew that person including the family yeah. you know um, you know we have to come together as a community um, and when I say a community not just veterans but um, whether you're a spouse of a veteran and you see something that's that's out of the ordinary or um, is to put that person in the corner and say, hey, what is going on, you know, but also assure them that you're there for them, you know,
4: through their struggles. I'd like to add on to that too, um, you know, Kevin, you brought up something very specific. Um, so through my job, uh, we we. With the Hope uh, Military Relations community, we, we really try to home in on trying to reach out and, kind of, and and stay connected with veterans and make those phone calls and make those emails if it's a text and just try to keep that connection piece going so that we keep veterans involved to know that they have someone that's there for them.
2: I look forward to your call every month. Well, I, 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 I do. I, I see, it, I, and here. I make sure I answer. It's <laughs> like, hey, Scott's calling me. I got to answer the phone.
4: I, I, look, I look, look forward for to those calls call. too, because believe it or not, you know, I call. I may call a veteran to see how they're doing, and through that conversation, a lot of times I hang up the phone and I feel a lot better about myself. Sure. Not because not because I called them, but because through kind of that conversation, I came to realize that not only do I care about them, but they care about yeah. me too. Um, but it's it's funny that you mentioned something because there's been quite a few times that it, that. Uh, that I've called someone, and usually within a week or two period, I usually get a, a call back or I'll run into that individual. And um, I've actually had them look at me and say, it's, it's weird because I was actually planning on killing myself that night and you called me. Like out of the blue, you called me that day. And I, I re- we've talked about this in the past, um, but I really think there's like that, sometimes we get that subconscious feeling. Like sometimes someone will pop in your head that you, that you know you haven't spoke to in a little bit of time. And it's just like that person that, like, and, and I, I almost feel like that's that veteran connection that we just have with each other. And it's like, you know what, like I really need to look out for that. Like something's just weird and you'll call them and they may say that everything's fine, but you can usually tell there's just something different about them. That kind of leads into like, you know, checking out checking on them more than once that month. You know, like you're you're sending a text out a couple of days over, over time, just checking right. on them. I mean, and I can speak from my own experience, too. Like, you know, Brienne, uh, she, she mentioned isolation. Like, I, I, I fall into isolation when I'm going through hard times. And Tony, Tony is one of my best friends, and I know he's recognized that with me. Um, when I'm going through rough stuff, whether it's, whether it's professional or personal, I tend to isolate myself. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll call me up and a couple times, and I won't answer, and then finally I get a hold of him, and he'll be like, Hey, I'm, I'm about to beat you up. <laughs> like, like you need to answer your phone. Yeah. and But it, but it's the God's honest truth. We really do, we, we isolate ourselves. And, and I think it's because we're trying to piece together in our mind like how we're gonna get through it. Because each time it's different. You know, you, you may go through that up and down so many times, but what, sometimes, every time you're in that, that downward slope, it can, it can really be different because it, you never know what's, what's the driving point for it. And you know, the, some of these veterans that are going through this, it's not only, it's not only what they've seen or what they've experienced in their combat or their, their career, it's the things that are going on in their life now. It could be finances, it could be um, personal things going on in a relationship, it could be just just the hustle and bustle and the stress of like kids. And you know, with you, it's like an amplifier that's already there with those, like, those, those dark thoughts and those dark voices that we hear from, from our career and experiences. It just puts like this, this amplifier amplified like noise, it's like this static noise and then it creates like this, uh, this emotion that just comes over here. Sometimes it's just a lot to take care of, you know, it's a lot to handle.
3: To add on to Scott too, and, and Scott's right, I, you call and you text and you call and you text and, and like Scott said with the isolation piece, I'll, I'll call him and two or three times and I'll be like, man, dude, pick up the phone because you know that there's that piece where he's in that dark place. And finally, you just text and say, dude, mm-hmm. say something.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think that we were we as a veteran community are probably the most we all deserve an Oscar. Seriously, I think we put on the um, the best act of being normal when we aren't um sure. you know it, no seriously uh, you said it, you said it best it's like you you call the person and they say hey, everything's good and then a couple weeks later then they open up right right but it's that moment when they say hey I'm good you may know in the back of your head you're not good but do we push you know it's like we don't we don't know when to I don't know let let up off the gas. But sometimes that's that you have to do that and they'll come back to you you know knowing that you just you know you had that ripple effect to where you stimulated a thought yeah it's it's not that time and that's exactly what happened to me it's it's like you know out of the blue type phone call and it's like it snapped me out of that you know and that's all you need is that moment because you get so envision is like this is this is it this is i'm going down this path ain't no turning back i'm popping smoke and i'm going and boom you have that break in that thought and that's all it took
4: the isolation piece isn't always a bad thing you know and and i have always stressed and i tell veterans this all the time um it's okay to be alone everybody needs alone time you know sometimes regardless of whether you're a veteran civilian it doesn't matter where you come from and how what you're doing Everybody needs that, that time alone, just so they can collect their thoughts, get their stuff together, you know, and figure out what their plan is for the, for the upcoming week or whatever it is that, that they have going on, whether it's an event or whatever. Um, but where it, gets, where it can get really ugly is when you start to feel lonely. And there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. And you can be surrounded by a million people and still be lonely. Um, and when a veteran starts getting lonely, that's when things can go really bad. And that's where I feel like that power of the peers Really, it plays an important role because we understand what it's we understand what it 's like to be lonely, but we also understand how to be there for each other. You know I know that I can call John or I can call Tony, I can call Kevin, and I can open up to them and tell them like this is what i 'm feeling, and in most cases they 're going to be like, bro, I understand because i 've been going through it myself or i 've experienced it myself or we've we 've experienced it because we 've had some of our juniors go through it. I mean, I'm sure every single one of us that are sitting here have had some, uh, some soldiers or Marines that have taken their lives through our career. And, uh, and we've had to deal and see from start to finish of the effects that that has. And some of it, like, I mean, again, personally, I, I had a Marine take his life um, on August 22nd of 2015. And uh, I struggle this time of year, like specifically this time of year, every year, because of that, it was such a traumatic experience for me um, because not only did I witness him take his life, but I ended up taking him home and I had to present his flag and, and his remains to his parents. Um, and it was a very, very uh, holistic and realistic thing because I had talked to him about a lot of things that were going on in his life and to, to see that play out, you know, it just makes you really wish that you, when you're in the service or when you're active duty you really wish that you could really get to know all of your troops all of your Marines um, and for the most part we we try to but we don't really get to get to know him like right. that. You know to sit down with his parents and to sit down with his sisters and brothers and actually hear more, the, the intricate details of his life and it's just you know it's an overwhelming like rush of emotion because you've had those you've had those conversations with him and now he's no longer here And you know, you start to question yourself, like, what did I do wrong? You know, why didn't he pick up the phone and call me? So you go, and and, you know, that's part of that that grieving process, especially when it comes to a suicide, is you know, you start, you go through that, like you start mad, you start angry, you start upset, then you can get depressed through it. But I still carry today, I still carry that weight on my shoulders of what could I have done different? What did I not recognize? Like, what could I have done to prevent him so that he was still here today?
2: To try to erase that, st- that you were saying about stigma, yeah. right? Everyone knows who Chris Kyle is. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I were to say to uh, John, give me one word that describes Chris Kyle, what would you say? Courageous. How about you?
4: Inspirational.
2: How about you?
1: Brave. Hero.
2: Okay. So Chris Kyle reached out for mental health. It took him a, a, a good push right to to go and get mental health help okay did anyone call him for a better word a pussy a punk doing that no if anything he was all those what you described him as as being you know he erased that stigma by reaching out um, you know as a sergeant major you always tried to be that stern leader that you know, you, you put that, yeah, no emotion. It's, it's like, you know, get off my grass type, uh, type, type deal, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, you know, you need to go do this. Go fix yourself, you know, whatever, okay? But when that door closes and you're looking at yourself in the mirror um, and you are alone, it's like, I'm not, that, I'm not that person. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know... I wish I could have just said fix me you know I'm not doing too great you know um and I think as a as a leader I think your subordinates will look at you um as you as we just saw you know describe Chris Kyle you know as being um because it did take him that courage to go and seek out mental health and that's what we all have to look at ourselves as doing it's like listen, um, I'm going to pick the phone up today or I'm going to go and check myself in or, you know, that loneliness tends to um, also be manifested by alcohol or drugs or some type of thing to, you know, numb that hurt that's that's that that you're feeling. And I think the best way to erase that stigma is to look yourself in the mirror and say, all right, I'm going to challenge myself today, and I'm going to either make a phone call, or I'm going to go and talk to someone in person. You know, and you have to you have to have that attitude though. You can't go in to um, to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist and say, "All right, here's your money, fix me." It's, it's not going to work. That's right. You know, you have to have a, a positive attitude, a good attitude. Um, And then you also have to push yourself outside your comfort zone, because if you don't push yourself outside your comfort zone, you're not going to get fixed. You're not going to put that step forward, you know, to get yourself fixed.
3: Expectation management. There has to be expectation management. If, If you want to make yourself better there has to be expectation management. Mm-hmm. That's no different than a, than, a, than a marriage that's struggling. There has to be expectation management. If you've given up on it, the, the marriage fails. Mm-hmm. Whether one person or the other person, both people have to agree and have expectation management. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And with the suicide prevention piece, the peer-to-peer piece, you have to be able to reach out and help with that expectation management. Mm-hmm. Can I help turn that switch for you like Kevin's saying I I need you to look in the mirror I need you to look in the mirror Mm -hmm. look in the mirror and have that expectation management right when you're on active duty there's expectation management that knife hand from the sergeant major that's what you expect Mm -hmm. that's the expectation management and you're gonna do that I can remember being on embassy duty as a marine gunny They knew I was the gunny. Everybody knew it. My wife was the gunny's wife. My kids were the gunny's kids. That's what they knew him as. And my wife couldn't understand it. My name is Mm Shauna, but everybody called her gunny's wife. That's gunny's wife. That's gunny's wife. That's gunny's wife. It didn't matter who you were. I got promoted to master sergeant. I was still the gunny because nobody knew me any different. Mm -hmm. But that was the expectation. And then when you retire, looking in the mirror and being able to, to just, Take that back and slow down. My father-in-law said it perfect. When I retired, he said, you need to stay with the military. You need to find a job in the civil service if you're going to be employed because the expectation management that you have. What you expect of people, you're not going to be able to transition into the corporate world and make that work for you because your expectations are greater than what they can provide to you. You're not going to be able to go to Google yeah. and run the show like you
2: run the unit. Yeah. Can you imagine me behind the counter at McDonald's? Well, yeah. May I take your order <laughs> now? You <laughs> want, I said, what do you want right, right. now? It's right.
3: <laughs> so again, the expectation management piece yeah. is, is huge. So again, you go back to the myth. Right. No, it's not a myth. No. You know, is it all planned? Is it all, if I call and say I'm going to do it, am I going to do it? Yeah, there's a pretty good chance I am. If I don't call you and tell you I'm gonna do it, am I gonna do it? Yeah, there's a pretty good chance I could. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely not a myth.
5: With the expectation management and the same thing you said, Kevin, I think a lot of the stigma with veterans, like perfect example for me, it took me, I got blown up in 2010, got evaluated for mental health. They're like, eh, you're good, take some Motrin, take a knee, drink some water, you'll be good. Mm-hmm. When I got up to Quantico, the average wait time just to see intake is nine months. So why would I even attempt to go do it right. you know, until, like, when you said the quiet time, your alone time? That's when I make my phone calls because I want my alone time because, so I can calm down. I may be thinking about some stuff. Let me call you. Let's talk about it because right. you're helping me just as much as I'm helping you. Yeah, so that's kind of the, the way I look at it, and that's what made me start getting into therapy. I was like, oh, shit maybe I can. And then I fired three or four of them and one wanted me to color. I ate all the crayons. It was, it was weird, you know, but I finally found a good one. And then I was on a podcast the other day talking about mental health and the doctor that's on the podcast called me. He's like, who are you seeing? No, you don't need to see that person. You need to see this person. She's waiting on your phone call tomorrow. I'm like, and I was busy. I didn't call her five o'clock at night. Unknown number. Hello? It's that doctor, hey, doc said you was gonna call me today. You never did. Yeah. Like those type of things, following up with your peers, like, hey, Scott, I knew last week you said you was gonna do this. How'd that work out?
2: Follow up and follow through are the key, key ingredients right Absolutely. there because, you know, how many times have we said, you know, pick the phone up, oh, you're good, okay. And then it's like, you know they're not good or the person says, hey, I'm not, I'm struggling today. And then you either, you know, life happens and you kind of forget. And then when you say, say to yourself oh I just remembered I gotta give him a call but he's he said he was all right or he should be okay and we just kind of let it go a lot of our leadership I think today in the military are like that they don't follow through right. they don't follow up mm-hmm. and you would be surprised of how how much yardage you can gain by taking the time and effort and saying just like you're saying with your therapist you know picking that phone up and say hey you didn't call me and hold them accountable you know, um, so accountability on both sides plays a huge factor in how th- something like this can be successful. Going through with expectations, follow through, you know, and ownership, you know, is, is the biggest, biggest thing. And if you include all the, those in that equation, you know, you're gonna st- see that stigma start to disappear and you're gonna start seeing, you know, those numbers, you know, coming down. It's a shame that it it takes so much dwell time to get help. You know, for you know, but there are organizations out there that can help you in that dwell time. Hope is a is a huge example of that, to where they can fill that void and get your mind right and get you into activities. And that's what I love love about Hope. It's it's uh, it's one of the only organizations that includes family, you know, which is your
4: foundation. I'd like to mention too, when it comes to the stigma, so, so my, my daughter is engaged to a Marine. He's a younger Marine. And, um...
5: Has he came in and you've already been cleaning your gun?
4: Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> no, he, now he cleans my gun. No, okay, okay. Know, okay. Uh, so, you know, so he's active duty, so we, we, share, a lot of, we, we share a lot of talks and, and talk about some things that he goes through and he'll come ask me for guidance and some advice, which I absolutely love. Um, And, and, you know, I get to hear kind of like, it kind of like gives me that that little spark because I get to hear like how things are still taking place in the Marine Corps, even though I feel like it was just yesterday that I was in it, but it's been four, almost five years now. One thing that that I've really learned and and something that I really wish that the military would really focus on is I think, I think uh, they do really good with like talking about suicide awarenesses And, and, you know, they do a lot of suicide briefs. Like I know, you know, every time... You know, at least once or twice a year, we had a suicide safety stand down and, and units would come together and we'd go through like, these are the things to look for. These are the, you know, act. And I'm not saying that those things are not important because they are. They teach They teach the basic tools and the things that, that other individuals that may have never experienced suicidal ideations or people that have gone through those types of things and ways to look for and ways to help or if you have, you know, if you have Lance Corporal Smuckatelli coming in to your barracks room and say, like, man, I, I'm not feeling too well and I just kind of feel like I just want to go somewhere, like, it gives them the tools of, like, this is where I need to start and what I need to do. So I think it's very important, but I really think that they really need to focus on more in-depth uh, training for, it, you know, staff and COs and officers. Um, and the reason why I say that is because that's where that stigma comes in. You know, a lot of times a junior Marine may be going through something, and I say Marine, I'm talking, when I say Marine, I, yeah. it's just because it's where it comes from. But a junior service member, um, you know, they, they're going through something and it could be something they're dealing with again from home, it could be just the, the, the stress of being new to something because they're new to the service and it's a whole different environment, a change of their lifestyle because they're not used to that from their background of where they came from. Um, they may start looking towards uh, junior leadership which it turns then into senior leadership of, of ways to find that help. And I, I feel like a lot of times they really don't have that answer. And it comes down to exactly what you all talked about, that they, they, they fail with that follow through. You know, they have that young individual that, that says like, I'm having these feelings and I'm, I'm trying to deal with these emotions that I've never experienced before. And they'll, they'll pull them in maybe for like a five minute talk into their office or in the, in the motor pool or wherever it is that they're they're working. And they have that little conversation and they're like, you know, they give them a little pat on the back and tell them that they're good. And that's literally what a lot of times they're doing. They're, they're telling like, you're good. Yeah. Hey, you're good. You ain't got to worry about this. Like, you're going to be all right. And the reality is, is that there needs to be that follow through and that, that core, uh, like training that they need to have so that they understand like, okay, is this individual okay? And, you know, I know uh, as I was coming towards the end of my Marine Corps time, like we, we were doing a little bit better with it because we would have, uh, it was forced preservation. Yep, forced preservation. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was really good you would have, you know, you would have doctors in there, you would have your, your medical officer, you would have folks in there that could speak on that individual if they were dealing with things or stuff, stuff that, it, you know, without crossing that line of the Privacy Act and going into like details of what they had. But it did give you an idea of like, okay, maybe I should watch out for this individual because he's got some other stuff going on. And, and, you know, I, I would learn that as I ex- was gaining experience in my career, is that, you know, a lot of times even when you had a service member young a, a young devil dog or a young soldier start getting into some trouble. Like they would start doing some things that were kind of like out of the ordinary. You know, it was, it was real fast you have like the NCOs and you have staff NCOs that are like ready just to dive in and start giving those knife hands and, and doing the things that we're trained in the military to do, which is, Again, that's what we're trained to do. It's how we're 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 taught to deal with those things, but sometimes you really got to take that step back and be like, okay, what is really going on with him? What is causing that individual to all of a sudden act out? He's never been in trouble before. He's never had any he's never had any issues, or maybe it was just a simple, uh, like he he kind of like blew up and got irritated about something and he snapped at one of his leaders. He's never done that before. Okay, well, you know, what's really going on? behind the closed doors, what's, he, what's going on? It could be alcohol, it could be, it could, it's, there could, there's a combination of tons of those things, but we all know that, I'm sure most of us could say that a lot of times when you look at like some of the suicide, uh, the suicidal things that we've dealt with, a lot of times alcohol is involved.
5: Alcohol meds.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, if they are turning to alcohol to try to numb some of those things and those emotions that they're, that they're experiencing, they can lead, the further things that I really think we need to dive into.
2: You know, accountability. You know, at all levels in the military, these two. You know, mental health needs to be at least in the top three priorities. All right, and I don't think it is there yet. You know, when um, when we deployed out, um, and everyone's train up may be different uh, for deployments. So how many? How long did it take you when you deployed to train up before? Um, last deployment was like five months. No, but so you trained for five months before you deployed? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Okay. Uh, roughly about the same, probably, yeah. Anywhere between three to five months.
2: Okay. Mine was a a, night three, three to four months, and that train up, and that prior to to going overseas. When we come home for demobilization, right, to demob, how, just on on average, and I'm just gonna, I don't know this for, how how long did it take you to, to demob?
5: Um,
2: Maybe
4: two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere from a week to two weeks. D- depends
2: know. how much leave
5: you have that you're okay. going to take. So
2: about you know, seven days.
3: Yeah. I, I detached and was back to my unit. I, I didn't.
2: So yeah. really no,
3: well, yeah, no d- dwell time.
2: So mine, literally off the plane less than three days. Mm-hmm. So, and when you demode, you go through these uh, round robin stations, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you're leave is good, dears, all the, you know, your pay, um, benefits, you know, and then you go and you talk to, you know, you have your little mental health, little area, usually with a chaplain or something like that there, and they give you a questionnaire, and uh, how you answer those questions, you know, determines whether you go through door A or door B, to go get your ticket.
3: How quickly Um, you get to see your family. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Absolutely.
2: So you're sitting there and again, accountability. Um, I'm filling out this form and it asks you questions, you know, do you see do you see anyone killed? Did you see any dead bodies? Did you were you engaged uh in any type of combat? You know, did you exchange whatever? Okay. And you're looking and knowing if you mark A, you're going through door A and you may not you may be there for a couple weeks, if not a couple months. Right. Okay? And if you answer B, you're going over to that station and getting your golden ticket and you're getting on that plane and heading home. And um and I actually had soldiers come up to me and say, you know, how are you gonna how are you answering this? And and my failure as a leader was, well this is how I'm answering because I want to go home. Right.
5: And then a lot of things like with us all being senior individuals, we never said anything because you're going to lose your clearance. You're going to have to get out. Then you're not going to deploy. You're you going to lose all this. Are, Are you going... to... exactly? Yeah. So I'm. Oh, how much did you drink this week? One to two beers. Okay, right. you know, <laughs> and it it, it it that just killed us because a lot of the people you see like in the civilian. And, and yeah, it's a lot of senior
2: people and my soldiers it, that I told them, or well, didn't tell them, but they went off of my example right, are as messed up as, you know, Mm -hmm. as I am, you know, and struggling with the, you know, the lifetime subscription to issues, you know. um, (laughs) know, (laughs) I'm about to use that one. (laughs) No, seriously. You know, it's like they are struggling the same as I am, you know, and had we gone through door A, would we be in the same? I don't know because I didn't choose that that door.
3: That's right.
2: Okay. Um, And in hindsight, I wish I did.
3: You know, my first deployment, I had 17 years in already. So I knew that I was always going to select option B. I knew that. There was, there was no other option for me was, other than option B.
5: Until you hear that last re-enlistment, and you're like, okay, I can do some stuff now maybe. Yeah,
3: yeah. Brother, I was <laughs> option B all the way because I knew that my, my career after the military was law enforcement. I, that was what my career path was, right. you know. I had two kids, had to get them through college. Retirement wasn't going to pay for everything, so I, I was going to stay in law enforcement. So I was option B.
1: And I think it brings it back to a lot of times what we see too, right? Is that um, the status quo? Like why challenge the status quo? Because I may not be living my best life, but I'm getting through day to day. So I'm gonna just keep grinding. I'm gonna keep pushing through right. because it's working right now. And I'm, you know, until until you get to a certain point and. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about. You guys have done a phenomenal job um, because I feel like this conversation is just where it always goes and everything I was hoping we would hit on, you guys have already hit on because you're well-versed in this conversation um, and it shows. So a lot of times when we, when we see people that are struggling and they're grinding, you know, they're grinding through, they're pushing through, um, we hear the term rock bottom, right, a lot of times. So I feel like oftentimes when I hear these stories between veterans and families, I hear, two, I, t- I hear two scenarios to get to the other side, which is healing. And it's either somebody hit a rock bottom or what I would essentially call kind of divine intervention, which is kind of what both of you two talked about. Somebody made the right call at the right time. So if you guys want to speak to that at all, what are your experiences as far as, and, and when I say rock bottom, a lot of people think substance use, you know, you can't control your, your alcohol intake you you know you go down the drug route all of a sudden you can't be a productive member of society because you're struggling with addiction i'm talking rock bottom like isolation like maybe it's been three weeks since i've left my house and i've talked to anybody um you know that can be that can be a sign of rock bottom if you're dealing with mental health struggles in general not just substance use so you did that
5: tons in san antonio when the three years i was at the hospital like <clears throat> we'd go to walmart at midnight have you ever been to walmart at midnight um. you'll feel better about yourself <laughs> uh like, like, interesting I group there I, i'd see somebody in the smoke pit and i'm like hey man i haven't seen you in like did you quit smoking this first time i've seen you in two weeks hey hop in let's go and then i had other two guys they're both double and triple amps we'd go to heb and wait for kids to use their grandparents car with the handicap placard and use it and we would park beside them where they couldn't get back in yeah. And then they would roll up in their wheelchairs and they're like, John, I really feel better now. Not that it's messing with somebody, but just see the face, like their face turns as red as his shirt is. And you're like, and you just see two guys in a wheelchair, roll up, pop their trunk. They climb up through and the dude's like 15, 16, like, oh my God, what did I just do? He's holding all his bags, (laughs) you know? So actually finding things that make people like if Scott's having a bad day, Hey, let's go play golf. Right. We was on the call the other day. He's shining up his golf clubs. Or, or was it, uh, uh, that was you? Yeah. it? Like knowing, because we're calling people we know. It's like, okay, Tony, I know Tony likes to do this. Hey man, let's, let's catch up and, or he likes to eat wings. Hey, let's go get wings tomorrow for lunch. Let's go to the staff and CO club and grab a sandwich. You know, knowing the people that you're talking to, I think is the key thing to where if you have a therapist, they only know what you've told them. That's it to where when you do the power of the peers, which, which I like that you came up with that, you know, it, I can reach out to Scott and be like, hey, we need to talk, dude. That's
4: right.
5: <laughs> you know, so I think we're already doing that. We just don't know. It's hard to judge if Scott's at rock bottom or this. Yeah. You just gotta be proactive, like you said, and you said you gotta be proactive before that hits rock bottom. I'll give you my definition of
2: rock bottom. Um, I've come to learn a, a, a recipe that has some several key ingredients. And if you're missing one of those key ingredients, you're, you're circling the drain. And if you are lacking all the ingredients, that's rock bottom. Um, first is purpose. If you don't have a purpose, you don't have a foundation. And you know, when I was at my lowest, I didn't feel I had a purpose. So I didn't have an ingredient. Next is passion. You know, what I used to love to do, I couldn't do, or I had a hard time doing because, you know, I started having the amputations happen. Mm -hmm. And I, I lost that passion of being physical, going out, doing, running, just riding a bike, as simple as riding a bike. And the last P is part of something bigger than myself. I didn't, I wasn't involved anymore. You know, I lost that sense of, you know, of being part of that team effort, uh, the camaraderie, um, where it wasn't about myself; it was about the bigger picture. When I was gifted a, that hand cycle, my first hand cycle from Hope, it it changed everything. You know, it brought back immediately the, the three things that that I I lacked. You know, I I I started having a purpose of going out and riding with other hand cyclists that you know and met some awesome folks, Bobby Dove, and and just amazing, amazing individuals that, you know, it's like, wow, you know, we're we're struggling through this together. And it got me out outside that comfort zone. It got me outside to where my attitude changed from being piss poor to, you know, having a a better perspective as to, you know, the cards I'm given ain't so bad. You know, I, I can play this hand. You know, I don't have to fold and, um, you know, it's, that was my rock bottom, you know, but you just have to have that one, that one little P that, you know, it just starts there. If you have to start with a passion first, so be it, or if you have a, a purpose and a passion and you, you want to find that last ingredients, pick the phone up and say, Hey, what are you doing? Let's go play golf. You know, let's go try, you know, try and swing the club or, hey, have you ever tried hand cycling? You know, why don't you try, try mine and see if you like it? You know, um, and by pushing another person and getting another person involved, um, you start building it out. Hey, it's like, hey,
4: it's not all about me. It's, it's about the bigger picture. I think it's important, too, to, to understand, and a lot, of, a lot of things that we struggle with is uh, it comes down to those three P's. Is you know, when you're when you are active duty, um, the, those three P's are kind of fed to you. You know, especially as it, it doesn't matter if you, if you're a junior, it doesn't matter if you're a senior, it doesn't matter if you're enlisted, it doesn't matter if you're an officer. Those three those three P's are fed to you. You have a purpose. You know what you're there for. You have you you know you have your perspective of what you what you've got to do. You have your uh, what was it, it was passion. Pa- you have your passion, and then you're part of something bigger than yourself. So those are those are all there. Um, once you transition out of the military, those three P's are, are sometimes really hard to find. And I think something that, that I can say I struggle with, and I, I'm sure I, almost every veteran struggles with, is trying to reestablish that sometimes those P's change, you know, and, and that's okay. And being willing to accept the fact that I might, have to, I might have to find something that I'm passionate about that I used to not be passionate about. Uh, I may have a new purpose and my, my new purpose may be now that I, I don't have 140 Marines to take care of now I've got Scott to take care of and A wife and kids to take care of and I've never have never really experienced or know how to do that You know, um, I talk about it all the time Once you once I retired I stood in front of the mirror and I, I had no idea who I was I, I truly had no idea because my entire adult life I had done in the active duty service where I was told where to be, how to be, what to have on, where to, what to have with me, and now I'm, you know.
5: You, you have to be a grown man now, figure out right, what to wear, exactly and you're like, like.
4: I don't, like, hey babe, does this match? <laughs> I, I don't know, green on green always matched, you know. Now I'm trying to figure out if this if this goes together. And then again, trying to find that purpose of what is it that I like to do. And sometimes injuries can play a role in that too. You know, there's, there's pain that comes and, and injuries that we've established along the way and things that we've had to deal with that some of the passions and and the purposes that I had, I can no longer do because I'm just, my body doesn't allow me to do it as often as I want to. So again, trying to find a new passion that can be uh, healthy because there are unhealthy passions and stuff that we can fall into too that can actually end up feeding into that isolation or that can feed into those negative things. I can tell you one of the things that I have found passionate to do and, and I'm thankful that my job actually encourages it is to just be able to talk to other veterans. Because, I, I mean, I've been to therapy, I've been through counseling, and I, and I see those. I, I still actively are part of that. But um, nothing has ever helped me more than just having, like, conversations like we're having right now.
2: Just because a body part falls off doesn't mean that a pee falls off. You know That's what I'm right. saying? Right. You, know, uh, you know, that you, you're missing one of those ingredients. That's absolutely right.
5: And, and it's great with the new organization I'm with, with Source America, because we have like our CEO's super big on wellness so you get a certain amount of money every year to do wellness stuff you know we get i think it's every wednesday we get 30 minutes for mindfulness in the office at home no matter what we got a gym downstairs you know we have a veteran employment service or em, veteran employment resource what the VERG group, and it's it's about thirty to forty percent veterans. And every month we just hop on a Zoom call, chit chat. Right. Hey man, what's going on? Okay, well, who's volunteering for this 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 month? Uh, who's going to write letters because everybody wants a purpose? Like we write letters to service members that are deployed. We send them cookies, stuff like that. But like just bringing people together because, like you said, when you get out, you're like, um, I'm now in Idaho, and I don't know anybody here that's a veteran. Right. You know, and you're like, "Um, maybe what, maybe my first purpose would be find a veteran that I can play golf with. Right. Right. So it's it's always going back and forth. And that's what I like about working here because we have people all across the country.
3: I was gonna mention purpose. I got a a buddy and Scott knows him very well. He was a professional, played on the PGA tour right out of college, played on the, the Hooters tour for about two years, became a police officer's wife, get pregnant. He breaks his back in a boating accident. Didn't think he was going to make it through. A couple years later, he's sitting on the couch. He can't sit up. He's like a Weeble Wobble. He's complete quad. He looks at me and says, Tony, I want to golf again. Brother, you can't hold a cup of water. He said, I'm going to golf again. Okay. So we went to work. Reached out to every organization I could find. And the easy answer was, or the first question always was, is he a veteran? No, he's not a veteran. But I am. So help me. Because he's going to teach me how to golf. And he did. I met him through, through um, teaching at the college. I taught in the... Basic Law Enforcement Academy and that's what he did after his wife got pregnant. So finding
4: not only him a purpose and he gets out and plays. He's a great individual and and truly supportive of the veteran community. And really loves it it's just funny because he, like we'll bring him out to some of our events with veterans and he, he just really kinda like falls into our mold. Fit. He really yeah. fits in. Yeah. And uh, and, and yeah. again just like Al Tony yeah. said too, you know, he may not be a veteran himself, but that individual like that helps that helps a veteran. Yeah. You know, it gives Tony that purpose and it gives Tony that passion and, and it gives him joy to be able to see that individual doing things that he likes to do. That's really important, you know, yeah. that, that feeds that feeds you know, it feeds everything right? and it gives everybody that purpose and, and, it, and again, it brings people closer and again, it, it brings up what we're doing now of being able to pick up the phone and talk to that person because when he's down, I'm up. When I'm up, he's down. Sometimes we're both down and we can pull each other up.
1: I think the biggest three things that stick out out of everything that we've said so far, I hear persistence because we talk about that across the board, right? So whether it's you reaching out to somebody and they're not answering, but you continue to reach out going to the mental health appointments you go for the first time and it's not a good fit or you go two times and you're still not feeling better but you're persistent you're choosing to push through and you're choosing to continue and exploring and seeing what that's about accountability is huge across the board in all aspects peer support mental health professionals nonprofit organizations, the government, there's, there's lots of accountability to be had on all parts, but everybody has to be accountable and also to ourselves. So that's a huge one, right? Like, which the last thing that you guys have all touched on, but nothing in the journey on dealing with mental health, with suicide awareness, with healing in general, whether it's physical, um, emotional, it, that journey is never linear. So like you just said like somebody's somebody's having a downtime somebody else is having an uptime right. and that's how we come together to be able to balance each other out what is something you do for yourself when you recognize that you may be experiencing suicidal ideations or struggling with mental health like isolation increased irritability um, you know whatever those symptoms are for yourself what is something you do for yourself in the moment whether it's a small gesture or a big gesture um, to cope with what's going on? I look
2: for an activity um, to keep myself um, focused on the future, whether it's a a marathon, whether it's a a running event. um, I I look at something where I can involve um, maybe others to to help me along that journey. Um, If I have something marked on my calendar that's going to happen four months from now, In my military career, you know, it's like, I'm going to see it through. And when I hit that benchmark, then I look for something that's going to happen another four, and that could be four months to, you know, a year out. But if I have it on my calendar, um, I know that I'm not going to let myself down, but I'm not going to let those around me down uh, by not showing up.
3: The first thing I'm going to do is make a phone call. I'm going to make a phone call, call one of the peers. Generally, it's going to be to reach out to Scott, Dover a couple other guys in the in that close-knit peer group because we all kind of know each other well enough um, and then I agree with Kevin I, I hate to let anybody down I hate to fail so I've you know there's events on the calendar um, my kids you know again
4: purpose and passion so it's a that's a very complicated question and the reason why I say that is because I, I can say that through my own experiences, when I first when I first started to recognize that I had an issue, a lot of anger, I had a lot of anger issues, and um, I didn't I didn't recognize it. I was unable to recognize it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and and my my spouse, my children had definitely tried to point it out to me even throughout my career. Like, Dad's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, once I retired, I I, I think there, there was. There was a specific event, and I won't go into full detail of that event. But there was a specific event that took place with my daughter, and I um, I lost my temper. And when I lost my temper, this particular time, I don't know. I'm sure it had happened and it had been there before, but I never was able to recognize it. But I saw some. I saw fear in my daughter's face, and it. It had such an impact, it, just, it was one of those core memories. Like, I will never get that look of her face out of my mind. And for me, it was like, it was, like, it was really a light switch of understanding, like, okay, I have to make a change. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is not okay. Like, um, there's obviously nothing wrong with, with being a, a parent and, and, you know, involving discipline and, and holding your children responsible and accountable for what they do. But my children should never be afraid of me. Right. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we fall into, like we all do, we fall into, sometimes we, we kind of like treat our family like we would a service member. And even then I think back of it like, man, well, maybe that wasn't even always the right thing to do. You know? <laughs> like when you really think about it, because you know, go back to some of the stuff we talked about, those service members may have been going through things too, and I, and I didn't really take the time to say like, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting like that? But instead it was just like, why, you, why is this not done? Go do it. Stop asking questions. I thought you said you was going to the earth store. That's, that's right. That's right. So why I say that's complicated is because I have, I have started to learn that when I, like, I, I, we go through waves, and we go through waves of highs and lows. Um, and, and again, some of it could be based off of events. Like, for example, like, this is a hard, this is a hard time of the year for me because it, it has a symbolized, a symbolized an event that took place. Just like Kevin talked about how today is the six-year mark for 16. some indiv- 16, I'm sorry, 16-year-day mark for some, you know, a very significant event for him where he, he lost people that he cares about. Mm-hmm. And you know, it goes back to like when you lose a family member, you know, you can never really recover from that pain. And that's, that's what a lot of people that maybe aren't a veteran don't understand. When you lose a brother or sister in arms, that's family and, it, and, it, and, it, and you will carry that for the rest of your life especially when it's suicide. You know, I look back to the to Marines that got killed in action. You know, it's, a, it's obviously extremely, extremely uh, an emotional event and you don't want it to happen, but it, it's, it, it's really different when it's suicide because again, you start peeling things back of like, what could we have done to prevent this? And it, it always sucks when you're on this side of it because you're like, you know, if I, if I had known five minutes before he took, you know, he took his life, I could have done something. So when we're going through those waves, I started to recognize that I can sometimes feel when I have that, I'm on my downward slope. Mm-hmm. So I automatically like try to like grab onto things that I know are going to save me from slipping all the way down. I might not be able to save myself from getting into that downward spiral, but I can at least not get down to a rock bottom, Breath. you know? But then there's often other times that there's triggers. You know, anybody that suffers from PTSD, TBIs, or uh, anybody that has, and it doesn't have to be from a combat experience. It can be from any type of experience that we've, we've had that's traumatic in our lives. There can be that trigger that sometimes it just throws you into um, a mindset and you don't even realize that you're there. Um, I can say, personally, I, I just, you know, and a lot of it for, from, a, especially a veteran standpoint, is we don't like to fail at anything. Like, failure is never an option, you know? Like, when we get, weak, this is the mission, and it doesn't matter how we accomplish the mission, the mission has to be accomplished. So failure is taught to us, is just not something that exists. And, and I'm a true believer, by, by the words of Brad Clayton, uh, there, there's no such thing as, like, you can't fail at anything. The only way that you fail at something is to give up. Um, so I specifically had an event where I felt like I failed at something, and it was based off of something that my spouse said, and she had no intentions to, 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 to say it in the way that I took it, but it literally put me back in a place that I had no idea that was there, and the next thing I knew, I was holding a pistol. And thankfully, um, I had family that recognized that and stepped in and intervened before anything further, went, went further. So it, that's why I say it's a very complicated thing because there was times when I could recognize it and I can try to prevent it and there's other times where there was those triggers where sometimes I just slip into the, I can slip into a mindset and just like that I'm in a place that I don't even know I'm there and it honestly takes someone else to kind of like slap me in the face to say, whoa, what are you doing yeah. so it's it is it's hard but I definitely think you know being able to lean on your peers being able to pick up the phone and call somebody and and say like hey i'm I'm having a really rough time or these are the things going on in my life. And, and, and again, that's where getting to know certain individuals and be able to establish those relationships amongst your peers, a lot of times you don't have to make that call and say, I'm struggling. You can just make that call and they already know like something's wrong.
5: Mm-hmm. Why are you calling
4: me at 10 o'clock at night? Right, they already know. Yeah. So, so you really don't have to say like, hey man, I'm having a really bad day. They already know like, hey man, are you good? Right. Like, and I know you're not good. So like, what, what can we do to help where, I'm on my way over mm-hmm. or where do you want to meet? What do you want to do? Um, and I think that's really important and sometimes again I, I think having some alone time is good but it's when that alone time um, is important yeah. because again it, it turns into loneliness and that loneliness is where the, the, the demons and the dark side come out mm-hmm. and they can really have a, a very overwhelming effect. But again just just having that purpose, looking forward to another event, looking forward to maybe even just making a phone call. Mm-hmm. So. Again, the power, power of the peers.
1: That's a very valid point that you said about it's, it is a complicated because it does it depend is. on why, why and where you're feeling that way, absolutely.
5: Mm-hmm. And just like Scott said, it's a, it's a weird one and I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, because when I, was at, when, when I was still in the Marine Corps, what I did every morning at 8 o'clock is I briefed the commander on every suicide ideation, attempt, or death by suicide in the entire Marine Corps, not just active duty, reserves, IRR within 28 months of so every morning and the majority of those uh, sir we have seven suicides a day uh, we have four and I have to read their story to find out hey what was they one of our patients was they one of our wounded ill and injured how many times have they attempted this before so I got a deep dive and all that so I just got it was it was like the song that's all mashed comfortably numb yeah. you know you know or or it's suicide is painless I'm like I don't care now that I left I'm like oh I, maybe I, I should have, what, what do I do with my hand? Now I'm just starting to see the things because I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. And my wife's like, you're a little bit more happier now. I'm like, huh? to, to where I used to, I feel like I'm going, and all I do is work. Just work, the work, 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 because that takes my mind off of it. Now I'm like, okay, I get home, cell phone, I walk downstairs, goes on my desk, I don't touch it till the next morning. You know, spend time with a family. We got a three-year-old. That helped a lot, too. Like trying to, you know, maybe I can't drink a bottle of whiskey at night uh, and still take care of him, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it, it slowly getting there. I like I like going downstairs and watching nonsense TV for 45 minutes. Yeah. Stuff I, I don't even have to watch because I've seen The Office 15 million times or Parks and Rec. I just turn it on and like, <sighs> then try to, you know, call somebody, go on a walk, do something like that. Just because you start getting those things going in your head, oh, it's, I'm walking. You know, you, you get good vibes out of it. You hear the birds chirping or this, that, you're like, okay, I'm take a few deep breaths, be good. You know?
1: It's all those little things though. I think that's the big thing. It's not, a, it's not a grand gesture at the end of the day. You know, it's those small steps and actions that you make a choice to take every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the things that are gonna be what keeps pushing you forward. Um, But, you know, you, you, Scott, always say about, you know, it's okay to be alone, but you don't want to feel lonely and you should never feel lonely. Um, And I completely agree with that because when you start feeling lonely, you start feeling hopeless. And when you start feeling hopeless, it gets scary real fast. Very last question that I would like to pose to you all and then um, we'll wrap it up. If there's anyone that is watching our discussion we've had today. And they feel like there is something that is off or something that is wrong, and they need support, but they don't know what that is. What is what is something you would tell them?
2: It's funny you you asked this. The um, so having dinner yesterday um, was the twenty sixth uh, of August, and the first thing that came, uh, I looked at my watch, and it was twenty hundred hours. And what made me look at my watch? I had no idea, but it was twenty hundred hours when. I was sitting um, in Afghanistan with uh, with Major Hank here. And um, he turned to me and asked me, he says, uh, he was he always had this thing about critical thinking. Mm-hmm. He loved to, you know, incite critical thinking. So he would give these vague topics. And um, he says, uh, let me ask you a question. I said, sure, sir. He goes, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? I said, sir? He goes, what do you want your legacy to be? And I thought, oh. We're, we're going down the rabbit hole now, you know? And I said, well, uh, really quickly, I've summed it up in you know, less than 10 words. I said, I just want to leave something better than what I found it. And he kept staring at me. He's like, he wants to get into this conversation. And I'm like, I got PCCs to do, you know, I got PCIs to do, I got, you know, we're, you know, there's a mission that's ahead. And uh, so I have all these pre-combat things I have to get done. I make sure everyone's ready to go and uh, he says, I understand. I said, can we have this conversation? He said, we can have this conversation again. Nope, no problem. And um, so the following day on the 27th, uh, Major Fissier was killed. And not having that ability to have that conversation, that word legacy just kind of like lingered in my head um, and it became my trigger to, you know, Uh, hearing it seeing it so my opposed thing would be to ask you know what do you want your legacy to be you know um, do you want your legacy to be to where you want to be known that you ended your life and you affected others around it or do you want your legacy to be to where you can reach out and uh, you know and I would share that story with that person you know and opposed to them because I think that's what Hank would ask me to do is to live a life worthy of his sacrifice by asking that question. All right, let's talk about legacy here. You know, let's talk about the hard, you know, critical thinking of what legacy means to you. You know, and um, I think once that that comes to light, I I think uh, people start to realize it's like, there's something bigger, a bigger purpose for me to be here. You know, and that's all you need is that, just that one ingredient to start, to start things out. You know, uh, a soldier of mine, uh, and you guys may know him, uh, Sergeant Earl Granville. And uh, he opposed that to me and uh, kind of instilled those three Ps um, and seeing what, what he can do as, a, as an amputee. And, uh, and knowing him and, um, and spending time with him, he's like my battle buddy. You know, and, uh, and I, it seems like every time I go to an event, I gain a battle buddy through, uh, through hope. You know, it's like yeah. I didn't know Scott until I knew him last year. It's, it's a networking of folks that, you know, I, I know that I'm not the only person that, that that person can reach out to, you know, and I want them to know that as well. It's like, I pride myself that you did turn to me or I pride myself that, you know, I'm reaching out to you. Um, but I'm not the only one, you're not, you know, you're not in this fight alone.
3: I absolutely love what Kevin said, especially about the legacy. Let let them know that there's something bigger to stand for, right? I have a, I have a very difficult time with suicide. We've had some suicide in the family, but I would also tell them it's selfish. And that may be my personal opinion. Some others may agree, some may disagree. Suicide to me is a very selfish act while you're gone in an instant what you leave for everybody else it lasts forever so think about that for a second mm-hmm. before you take your own life that's what that's what I would ask them. Yeah. you know what I mean yeah. pick that phone up, call somebody at least give somebody the opportunity mm-hmm. to have a conversation with you don't call the person that's troubling you yeah. so if you're having trouble with your spouse and that's why you're there that's not the person you want to pick up the phone and call. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everybody's got somebody, mm-hmm. right? Yep. There's national hotlines. There's, there's all kinds of other ways. Um, uh, the clergy. There are other avenues, but understand it's very selfish.
4: I'm a firm believer that when, when people move, or we, we lose people in our lives, um, a lot of people think that they're gone, but the truth is, is that they, they live with us. We we carry that we carry their legacy. It's a, it's our job. It's our responsibility to carry our to carry their legacy with what we do and our actions. It doesn't always have to be a, a veteran. It could be a family member. That again, exact same thing. So that was, that's extremely extremely powerful. Um, it actually kind of made me kind of like lose thought of what I was gonna say. I think if if there's someone out there that is kind of coming to that to that feeling and they're starting to they're starting to have those thoughts. Um, and they're looking to, like, what kind of support it is. Um, I, I want to say that I, right, right now, when you're not having those feelings, that's why it's so important that, it, that I challenge you today, like right now, to make sure that you start having the connections that you can have. And it doesn't have to be a huge circle. It can be a very small circle. In fact, the small circle is probably the best thing. But if you don't have one or two people in your life right now that you could call or that you could reach out to, and know that they would be there for you at any given time, no matter what the situation was, they will drop whatever it is for you and you back to them. You need to find that right now so that when you're in that position and you need that support, you don't know who to call. Tony said it best. There, you always have somebody that, and if you don't feel like you have somebody, there's hotlines. But I'm, I'm just going to call it out and, and call it what it is, that hotline, you know, is not something that a veteran usually is gonna pick up the phone when they're really, really having those thoughts because they're gonna to talk to someone they don't know. And trying to connect and tell someone, like, hey, I wanna kill myself and I have no idea who you are and I've never spoke to you, that can be beneficial, but for the most part, they're not gonna make that call because they don't, they're, they're gonna get, they're gonna get just like, it's gonna be a script. It's gonna be something that's read to them and it's not gonna have the real emotions of what it is. So find somebody now before you get to that point that when you get to when you get to that point in your life, or if you and hopefully you don't, but if you ever do, that you have those people that you can reach out to and say, "This is, hey man, I, I, I'm at that I'm at that point, and I need to talk, or I need I need to I need to come see you. I need to figure out something to do. I need to find out an activity. Let's schedule something. Let's do something. Um, help me. I think you got to be proactive. So that my but if you haven't been proactive, you get to that point. Um, call somebody that you do know. You know everybody has somebody whether whether it's someone that they actively engage with or might, it just might be someone that you haven't talked to in a year or two years it might have been 10 years ago that you served with someone that you experienced combat with someone that you experienced a moment with maybe you were just in a field exercise and you were in the suck because we all like you know we, we always look back we, we go through those moments in our career and it's like miserable but then when you always look at those miserable moments afterwards and you're like those are the best times of my life those were the best times of your life, even though you were going through the most miserable things because it was hot, it was raining, it was cold, it was whatever it was, but those were the best times in your life because you were surrounded by other people that were going through the same thing that you were and you were able to pull each other through. So reach out to someone that pulled you through. I, I, I will say one, one last thing I know I, I, without trying to ramble too much. When I went through recruit training, uh, my rackmate was Jason Polychrones, and you know, when you when you go through recruit training, you get to you get to a point where like, you wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I, I don't want to be here. This is horrible. Like, this is absolutely horrible. I, it's the worst experience I've ever been through. Even though I watched Full Metal Jacket and I watched all these things and I talked to the recruiter and I I knew what to expect, but it was still miserable. You know, I like I, I had basically I was I was a prisoner. I was my freedoms were gone. I had nothing. It was I was I wasn't even allowed to be me. I was told when I could. I didn't even, I wasn't even allowed to pee without being told I could do it. So, you know, there was times throughout that recruit training and those 72 training days where I would get up in the morning and I'd be like, I want to quit. Like, I really do. I want to quit. And my, my rackmate, polychrons would be like, Hey man, don't quit on me, man. I need you here. Like I, you're, you're, you're getting me through it. And then, you know, four or five days later would be in, in a situation where he's in the, now he's like looking at me and he's like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm tapping out. Like, I can't do this. And I'm like, no man, I need you here. So throughout my career and I had, I I don't talk to him very often, but I have explained this story to him, but I actually refer to it as the polychrome syndrome. <laughs> um, anytime I got in a position where I just want to quit or give up, I have to find polychrones. I got to find my polychrones and find somebody that I can tell like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really crappy right now like I can't do this and find someone that, would, that, that can uplift me so find your polychromes
5: I, I don't think I can say anything else <laughs> uh, <laughs> being That's 20 funny. years in the Marine Corps I, I say see something say something you know because okay. you see those signs it, be yeah. the eagle, eagle eye is it eagle no, eye no, yeah no, no, do, no. you know just be real with yourself mm-hmm. you know is this something you really think about doing just call somebody yeah. uh, like all of them said call somebody don't matter what time, like right now my phone's on Do Not Disturb, but that's the only time I think it's ever been on Do Not Disturb. You call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, oh, shit, Scott's calling me. Yeah. Hello? Right. You know, I'm, I'm, we're going to pick up the phone. Your, your other veterans that's in that small group, that, you, they're going to answer your phone call. Right. And if they don't, okay, fine, I'm driving over to your house. That's that's right. Well, why didn't you answer my phone call? That's right. <laughs> you know? Okay. It's, it's just being real with yourself and holding yourself accountable, being, you know, all the things we've said throughout this, this time, but yeah, just pick up the phone call.
1: As we bring this panel to a close, I want to emphasize that the journey towards suicide awareness and prevention is ongoing. The conversations we've had today are just the beginning, a spark that we hope will ignite a collective effort to create a more compassionate and supportive society. Each of us has a role to play. Whether it's reaching out to a friend, sharing resources, or advocating for mental health support, every small action can make a significant difference. Remember that you are not alone on this journey. There are resources available and there are people who care deeply about your well-being. If you or someone you know is struggling, please don't hesitate to seek help. Reach out to a mental health professional, a counselor, a friend, or even a helpline. You are never a burden and your feelings are valid. Let's continue to educate ourselves, challenging stigmas, and extend a helping hand to those who need it. By being aware, empathetic, and responsive, we can create a world where everyone feels seen, heard, and supported.
0: I want to say thank you once again to our panelists, John Rose, Kevin Bittenbender, Tony Romano, and Scott Griffith. I was in the room as they shared those experiences and it is clearly not easy, but it is so important for all of these men because they want to make a difference and do everything they can to raise awareness and be the change that prevents pain and promotes healing. If you want to see the full video of that panel, you can check out the Hope for the Warriors YouTube channel. We'll also provide resources and links right here in the show notes. Thank you for listening and make sure you follow the podcast for updates on future episodes. Next month, we'll be talking about financial wellness. So keep your eyes and ears out for that. Until next time, keep in mind, a little kindness goes a long way. Hope it's what our military community needs today.